0: of just being who you are. I pray tonight, God, that we would hear directly from you, that your spirit would would pervade our hearts, that you would overwhelm us with your goodness and your powerful presence, that we would be changed to be more and more into the likeness of Christ as a result of encountering you here tonight. Thank you for the goodness, the good news of your gospel. And God, we celebrate who Jesus is tonight, and we anticipate great things for one simple reason, because you are a great God. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe may be seated. Well, I'm Pastor Daniel, and it's a privilege to be here tonight and to continue our journey through the letter of Philippians. Philippians is in our New Testament of the Bible, and we're going verse by verse through this letter, which is a, a real letter written by a real person to real people who had real-world problems. Uh, oftentimes, uh, I tweeted earlier this week, if you're not following it, why not? I have the best Twitter handle of all, Daniel T. McGee. Lots of wisdom, great things. My mama's always liking whatever I put on Facebook, so... I have her endorsement. But I tweeted earlier this week that, that something to the point of Jesus is not a cartoon, but when sin manifests in my life, it, it comes up in my life when the reality of God's resurrection, the Son of God's resurrection stops being a reality. And many times we think of Christianity or, or good thoughts as, oh, that's nice, that makes me feel better. But we're talking about a reality of somebody that really lived, really died, and really rose again. That's what Christianity is founded upon, this simple, powerful truth of the resurrection. So I want to remind us that uh, this is a letter that Paul wrote. This is a church that he founded, and he had a, a friend, Epaphroditus, come from that church, deliver a gift to him while he was in prison. Paul was in prison for preaching the gospel, doing exactly what God told him to do. Epaphroditus brings him this message. While he's there, he gets sick. And he knows that the the people in Philippi love him and uh, can't wait to see him again. And so Paul even writes in the letter, I'm I'm sending Epaphroditus back to you, and I'm excited to report he's doing well. And he delivers the letter back to them, that Paul writes uh, the letter to them, and he delivers it back to them. So he's a main character in this letter. Last week, we, we learned a valuable truth of, Uh, of how God is uh, powerfully affecting our lives for real change. And today we're seeing a powerful truth that we are called to celebrate the Lord together. To celebrate the Lord, not individually, although that is part of it, but together. So look with me as we continue our journey. We're picking up in chapter 4 of Philippians, chapter 4, verse 2. So we've learned a lot, and again, when you write a letter to someone, hopefully you have writing skills that you don't just jump around all over the map, and so we're skipping a lot of things if you haven't been here uh, from, from the beginning to, to get to this point. I'll do my best to make sure we don't lose anything here uh, for you if this is your first time here. So look with me in chapter 4, verse 2 in Philipp- Philippians. Paul writes, I entreat, that means he makes a special appeal, he pleads with them. He says, I entreat Eudia and I entreat Sintiki to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, and he's saying that's a loyal comrade. I ask you also, help these women who have labored, who have struggled hard side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. You've been there before. There's two good friends. They're going along, they're serving together, they're loving each other, and then one of them has a bad moment and they lash out at the other one. And the other one's not quite ready to handle that, and so they respond back with bitterness and anger. And instead of being lovey-dovey now as friends, they can't stand one another. Where there used to be good conversations of, Let's talk about our feelings and let's get things done. Let's work together. Instead, there is now a cold silence. Now we slam doors. We give each other the cold shoulder and we just forget talking to one another. Well, this was happening, evidently, something similar to this was happening at this time. And it was in the church and evidently was public because Paul is bringing up the fact that these two ladies are having a disagreement They had a falling out, and he is pleading with them. I want you to come to an agreement together. I'm pleading with you. He wants the agreement, disagreement to be settled quickly because the, the longer it goes, the more hardened our hearts become. And the more easy it is for us to just sever the relationship permanently. The longer it goes, the more it affects others directly, and it affects other people indirectly. And obviously, or... Well, not obviously, I guess, but apparently it seems that this friction, this disagreement had been going on for quite some time because Paul was sending this letter back with Epaphroditus. The only way Paul would have known about this disagreement would be if he actually told Paul when he visited. So for the time Epaphroditus was there visiting Paul, this argument, this disagreement was still festering. And so Paul hopes that a word from the apostle himself... Would encourage them to come to an agreement. Stop fighting. I'm pleading with you. Come together. And so this scripture points out a reality that most of us all know maybe too well. Sometimes the status of our relationship can change faster than we can get to Facebook and make it official. Just like that, our relationship can change. Our marriages, romantic relationships, best friends family members, co-workers, yes, even fellow ministers, we are all susceptible to having our relationships severed by disagreements. So what is the solution when, not if, what is the solution when we find ourselves in this kind of situation? What is it that we're supposed to do in order to bring this healing when we are at odds with those people with whom we should have peace? He gets to it in the next verse, and these commands of these next scriptures apply to all of the church that he's writing to in Philippi. They also apply to us as well today. But they had a particular case in mind with Iudia and Syntyche as they were aware of this disagreement, and now they're learning to apply it to their lives. Look with me in chapter 4, verse 4 and 5. The solution, he says, is this, Rejoice! Which means celebrate joyfully. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Celebrate. Let your reasonableness, and that just means gentleness and graciousness, is specifically what he's talking about here. Let your gentleness, your reasonableness, your graciousness be known to everyone, because the Lord is at hand. He is near, and because he is near, we should pray. The word rejoice, many times as we read that, it seems to have this connotation of an inward reflection to where we inwardly rejoice and find this peace and joy with God. But Paul was using this word in more of a, a way that it would encourage a public celebration, something that would be done outside and that others would see. He lived in a world where they had great festivals all the time. We actually live in that world today. There's street fairs almost every weekend in Astoria. We see these celebrations going on, and for them, they would have these festivals and games that would show and celebrate their gods, and they would show and celebrate their cities, and they would do these things. And so he's saying, why should, if Caesar is going to do this, remember we learned last week that Caesar had promoted himself to be worshipped as God, and Paul said, no, you're citizens of heaven. You worship Jesus. You don't worship Caesar. And so if he would do this, then why should not the followers of Christ also celebrate their God? Celebrating the Lord encourages and strengthens loyalty. It encourages and strengthens obedience to the Lord's commands. I remember when I was 16, I went to my first ever college football game. There were 50, over 50,000 fans in red and white cheering on the Razorbacks. And it was so loud. I remember the fight song. The band came out in all their pomp and circumstance. And they come out and they do the fight song. And all these people start singing the song. And I didn't know the words, but I, I sang anyway because I didn't want to look crazy. So I, I sang whatever. And, and it was just amazing. It was fun and joyful. And it was a celebration as there was this one unifying goal. Win the game. Win the game. They celebrated. There was unity with everyone who wore red and white. I was strengthened by that celebration that we shared. I was encouraged. I'm not the only one here. There's Look at this horde of people that are here. There's tons of people shouting. And I was sure that because my team won that day, the crowd was a deciding factor. And probably so because our team wasn't very good. We beat someone we shouldn't have. I really think we helped... Turned the tide for that game. We were loud, and from that day forward, I was sealed as a fan forever. I can't get rid of it. During that game, I saw people cheering for one thing, for their team to win. I didn't recognize it at the time. I was only 16. I was wanting popcorn and Coke. But at the time, I didn't realize that what was happening is that everyone was putting all of these outlying issues aside. They were hitting the pause button. And they were focusing on one thing. We've got to win this game. We're going to be as loud as we can. We're going to cheer as much as we can. When the ref makes a bad call, we're going to boo, which is fun. We're going to do everything we can to encourage our team. And that celebration caused us to unite as one. I'm really reminded of that now as we're all watching the World Cup. And we see all the fans everywhere. You can't go by the beer garden or any bar anywhere. It's just loud as rockets. People are wearing their jerseys. They're united for their cause. On a much greater level, Paul is talking about the same thing. He said, I want you to rejoice in this unifying cause, the Lord. I want you to celebrate Him. I want you to remember what is most important. He's saying it's not most important for you to be right in the fight. It's more important for you to unite in the Lord. Iudia, Sintiki, it's not important for you to be right or to you to be right. What's important is for you to unite in the Lord. And when we celebrate the Lord together, relationships will thrive. He says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. And, and to, in Matthew chapter 5, it'll come on the screen here, verse 16, Jesus says, in the same way, let your light shine before others. So that they may see your good works and give glory to you because you're a good person. That's not what it says. So that they would see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let your light shine so people would see. Let your reasonableness, your gentleness be known to everyone because your light should shine so that it would reflect glory to God not for you but it would go to him and recently there was a public disagreement in Christian circles and one of the men involved in the disagreement wrote a letter apologizing because in the heat of the moment he had said and written things that that he'd later regretted I wish I hadn't said those things but I believe his in part of his letter we see what Paul is wanting us to see we see the nature of God working within his children We see the gospel at work. And this is part of his letter. He said, when you feel the need to respond to criticism, it reveals how much you have built your identity on being right. When you feel the need to respond to criticism, it reveals how much you are building your identity on being right. And he tied it in into the letter to idolatry. If your identity is anything other than in Christ... That's a form of idol worship and idolatry. And so he says, my idolatry came out last week. Because Jesus won for you, you are free to lose. And last week, I fought to win. I'm sorry you had to see that. Lord, have mercy. Many times we fight to win because we feel good when we win. I fall in that category often. Pride has a sneaky way of getting in to the hearts of all of us. We feel good when we're right, and we rejoice in the fact that we were able to win that fight instead of rejoicing in the fact that Jesus has already won the ultimate fight. If you believe that because Jesus has won, I am free to lose, say that with me. Because Jesus has won, I am free to lose. Because Jesus has won, I am free to lose. What if we approached our relationships that way? Our marriages. That when our spouse did something that annoyed us, which is going to happen, because they're human. What if they said something, our friend said something to us and it hurts our feelings, and instead of snapping back at them, what if we respond in grace? And what if we get that power to do that because we realize that's what God has done for us? And what if instead of responding back and retaliating to them because we want to be right, we want to prove ourselves, what if we are humbled by the fact that instead of God doing that to us, God gave himself for us? And why don't we lead that person? And if they won't follow us, just lead ourselves to celebrate the Lord and pray for God to bring them to celebrate with us. As a Christian, our identity is not secured by our ability to be right. Our identity is secured by the Son of God who has defeated death and is resurrected as is the king of the new world. And that is something that we should be celebrating always. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 21 through 23. This is Peter's version of what Paul is saying and of what Jesus is saying. He says, "For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in His steps. Jesus committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in His mouth. When He was reviled, when He was insulted, He did not revile in return. When He suffered, guess what? He did not threaten, but continued entrusting Himself to Him, to God, who judges justly. Jesus didn't fight back to prove himself right, but he continued entrusting himself to the Father, which is what Paul is telling us to do, to entrust ourselves to the Father. He's saying the celebration of Christ is this. It's looking at what Jesus has done for us. Look at what he's done for you. And then... When you do that, when you celebrate that, it's going to strengthen you. It's going to unite us. It's going to encourage us. And we're going to become more loyal to Him, more obedient to Him, our King and our Lord. And that means we're going to become more like Him. The celebration that we're talking about isn't just this raucous display of unhindered passion and loud noises. There's joy and there's exuberant celebration at times, but He mentions at the same time, let your gentleness and your graciousness, your reasonableness. Let it be known to everyone. So this is specifically a gentle and a gracious spirit that should be exuding from us. And so we don't want to squash people with this loud and obnoxious battle cry. Like, forcing them. Forcing it on them to believe this way. But instead, we are to lift up the weak. We are to serve the needy. We are to forgive those who insult us, and we're to give our lives for others the way Jesus gave his life for us. We celebrate enthusiastically. We can raise our hands in church. We can clap. We can crank up the music. We can get soulful. We can just shout it out and sing praises to God. But we always consider others as more important than ourselves. So we're joyful and we're gentle. When we celebrate Jesus, relationships will thrive. But more things happen too when we're celebrating Jesus. More areas of our life will be put into proper perspective. And one of those is this. Anxiety will become less of a hindrance for us. Anybody ever worried about anything? Just to free you up a little bit? That we're supposed to be warriors for Christ, not warriors. This can be confusing, I know warriors not warriors look in the next verse here chapter 6 or chapter 4 verse 6 and 7 paul says do not be anxious or do not worry about anything my wife would say don't tell me how to feel <laughs> do not be anxious about anything but in everything and that means every area of your life by prayer and supplication With thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Anxiety is not something new to us. In fact, it goes all the way back to the fall itself when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. There is uh, the curse that is on Adam, and it says, by the sweat of your brow, you will work the, the land. That is an ancient idiom, a phrase that talks about anxiety. You'll never know whether or not your crop will come the way it's supposed to come. There will always be this anxiety that's on you. And so it's not something new to us. So let's not elevate ourselves to, oh, they didn't have to worry about things then because they didn't have New York City rent to pay. Now, they had other issues themselves, but there's a lot of anxiety. But a lot of people in this world specifically worship false gods. And so in the pagan world... There were all these different gods, and you didn't know. There could be one of them that was really mad at you, and you would not know why. So there was this anxious lifestyle that they would live. Like, I wonder if I'm appeasing all of the gods, or if one of them is angry with us. But in the Christian world, we see that God has revealed himself in Jesus. Praise God. We know that we can have peace with him. But it doesn't mean that we won't suffer in this life. It's not a guarantee against suffering. But there is a certainty that we have that God is ultimately in control and that he will always hear and he will answer any prayer that we have on any topic. Sometimes we think we shouldn't bother God for small prayers like the weather or a parking spot. And to be truthful, I know parking spots can be a big deal, but in in truth, we really should spend a lot more of our time praying for bigger things. We really should. I'm trying to teach my kids now as they pray because I've noticed a lot of things are, God, help us to have a good day. Help us to enjoy it. Help us not to get hurt. You know, hurt is probably a good thing, but, I mean, not being hurt is a good thing. And so uh, I'm trying to encourage them to pray bigger. Instead, maybe pray, God, help me to be a servant to my family. Help me to look for ways to build other people up and to serve them and not be so inwardly focused. So we should be thinking about bigger matters more. But listen, I am not saying what you think I might be about to say because Paul is clearly saying that we should talk to God about every area of our life. That's the parking spots, that's the weather, anything in every area of our life. If it matters to you, it matters to God. And this kind of prayer life will mean that you're going to have a a deep peace in the middle of the problems that come your way. When you are fully entrusting yourself to God, He's going to give you a deep peace to endure the storms that come. And if you're not in a storm, or if you haven't been through one and you're not in one, one is coming. You will go through storms in this life. Being a Christian doesn't release you from the reality of the hardships of life, but what it does do is give you the proper perspective on the reality of the resurrection. That I can endure this trial. I can endure this suffering. Because I know that my God is on the throne. And He will use all of these things to help me become more like Christ. And God will guard our heart and our minds in Christ Jesus. In the next verses, verses 8 and 9, He says this, Finally, brothers, my family, whatever is true, whatever is honorable or holy, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable or of good reputation... If there is any excellence, anything virtuous, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. This command that he gives in verse 8 goes against the habit that is encouraged by our modern world. If you watch the news, it's full of things that are untrue, unholy, unjust, impure, ugly, of pure reputation, of poor reputation, excuse me, vicious, and blameworthy. You with me on the news? So how are we going to celebrate the goodness of the Creator if that's all that we're feeding on? If that's all that we're putting in, how are we going to celebrate and the goodness of God, when all we do is focus on the places where we humans have made ugliness. There must be intentional efforts on our part to feed on the goodness of God while checking the pulse of culture. We need to be aware of what's going on, but it can't be all that we're feeding on. We need to know what's going on, but it can't be the thing that we're thriving when we celebrate the goodness of Jesus. And then the last verse here, Paul says, all the good things, all these things that you saw done in me, do those. Now that's a pretty <clears throat> demanding command for himself. How many of us would want others to watch our lives and pattern their lives after everything we do and say, if you want to be a good Christian, just watch me and pattern your life after me. I don't really want to do that right now. Sometimes we read arrogance into what Paul is writing here, but there's no arrogance in this statement. These people are new Christians, and they need an example to follow. This is brand new that that God has established a new covenant, and they're not sure how to take all that they've been taught from tradition and the Scriptures, and how now to apply it to this new walk that they have with Christ and with the Holy Spirit living within them and so Paul is giving them a Christian example he's saying watch me and and he even gave endorsements for Timothy and other faithful servants and so the question is are we willing to celebrate the Lord and become the examples for our generation are we willing to do that to celebrate the Lord and become that example Paul said if you'll do these things then the God of peace will be with you and in verse 7, remember he said, The peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And so the key, listen, to having the peace of God is knowing the God of peace. The key to having peace, the peace of God, is knowing the God of peace. When you have one, you will have the other. Look with me in John chapter 14, verse 27. This is Jesus again speaking. He says, Peace, I leave with you. My peace, I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. It sounds like he's saying, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to me and the peace of God. Will surpass your ability to even understand how great it is. Being a Christian is a restful, peaceful life because we don't have to go around appeasing all the gods because God has been pleased in Jesus. That's why we celebrate Him. So if you want peace in your relationships, guess what? It's time to celebrate the Lord. If you want gentleness and graciousness in your life, guess what? It's time to celebrate the Lord. If you want freedom from anxiety, guess what it's time to do, folks? Celebrate the Lord. If you want peace from God that exceeds all understanding, guess what time it is? If you want to see things that are holy, just, pure, and honorable, and lovely in this world, it's time to celebrate the Lord if you want to live so others can pattern their life after you, you better be celebrating the Lord. If you want the peace of God and the God of peace with you, the time has come for you to celebrate the Lord. Celebrate the Lord together. This is what we do at Connection Church. We don't come here to hear good songs and to hear a good word and to to pray. We come here to celebrate what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. So turn your focus away from the world and your stresses and turn to the king of kings. Give him every one of your burdens. Depend on him for everything and trust him with everything. Celebrate the fact that the king of the world is with you. He is on your side and rejoice in the Lord always. Those words should have more depth and meaning in your life than ever before because we see the depth of what God has done for us In Christ Jesus. Celebrate the Lord together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you now and we praise you that you are a God who has shown love for us, who has expressed it in ways that are impossible for us to even fathom. For you, Jesus, to be the Son of God, the only one who could truly be justified. And standing up and saying, no, I will not go to this cross. I will not be condemned because I have done nothing wrong. To see you, the perfect Son of God, lay down your life for those who mocked you and scorned you. God, if that doesn't inspire us, if that doesn't cause us to love you, then our hearts need to be softened and broken by your Holy Spirit. You are a good Father. You are the God of peace and You are the God who invites us to bring every burden to You for You to handle with Your strength. And I pray today, God, that that would cause us to celebrate You and that we would honor You by bringing every area of our life underneath the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I pray this in his name. And if you agree with
1: that, say amen. Amen. Now we have an opportunity to respond to the words that we have heard spoken from God's word and from the Holy Spirit, straight from God's word to you. You know, the beauty of being a part of the body of Christ is that all of us, like this team, uh, this 50,000-person stadium that Daniel described are focused on one goal. We learned that one goal last week, the finish line, focusing on the finish line. All of us together building each other up with encouragement and exhortation and love and service, not just for the betterment of ourselves, but more importantly, so that our colonies the kingdom of God comes here on earth as it is in heaven. And if you're anything like me, you've sat night after night before worrying and being anxious over how the rent's going to get paid, how long you're going to go without a job before God finally provides you one, how long you're going to go without uh, someone to love you, someone to care for you, without a friend, without a spouse, Without children, how long before I get the break? How long before God finally provides what I need or what I want? You see, we learn something so clear from this scripture. And that's that peace doesn't come from sitting around worrying about those things. It doesn't even come when the worries and the anxieties are cured, are are become well in us. Peace comes from after sitting and contemplating and worrying and God says, give that to me. Be anxious over this no longer. That is when the peace that passes all understanding is made known in your life. Because Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, come to me all who labor come to me all With prayer and supplication, make your request be known to God, and then let it go and experience the peace that comes with not having to hold that burden longer. Anyway. I'll be standing over here if you'd like someone to pray with. Maybe just praying by yourself is not going to do it, but you would like to say that. For celebration. I only have room for, for ta- doing tasks and for worrying about the tasks that I didn't get done. And for being anxious over the things that I have no control over. Tonight, Father, we as a church give those things to you. You are the taskmaster who gives a light load and an easy burden. So Father,